Every business comes to life through its service experience. Your business success depends on whether your customers are loyal to you. That's where real value and profit is created. Great companies ubiquitously have great customer experiences. A thin red line divides those that invest and consistently deliver what their customers need and those that fail and get disrupted. In competitive and challenging times, leaders need to double down on their customer experience. Learn and grow the value you create. Grow your success. Be on the right side of that thin red line. This is the CX Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and customer experience guru, public speaker, and author. Your business success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to the CX Guru. My name is Eric McCroskey, your host, and today I'm very excited to have with me a true customer experience guru, uh, Alex Suskind. Uh, joined the faculty of Cornell School of Hotel Administration in uh, 1998. He's a professor of food and beverage management and also the director of the Cornell Institute of Food and Beverage Management, as well as the Associate Dean for Academic Affairs at the school. Uh, but most interestingly is prior to starting his academic career, Alex worked as a chef and restaurant operator for both independent and multi-unit restaurant companies in the Northeastern and Southeastern United States. So has real world experience uh, plus uh, amazing academic experience in the space. Uh, so uh, on top of all his, his professional career and all his, his uh, titles that he's published over the years, uh, he's also uh, studies Taekwondo, has a, a black belt, is an enthusiastic collector of fine wines with 1,400 bottles in his personal wine cellar. Wow, one day we'll, well, we need to talk about that one, uh, but also a drummer. Uh, who practices nearly daily. Uh, so Alex, thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, really excited to talk to, uh, to you a little bit about some of the themes that are emerging um, in, in the hotel, uh, the, the restaurant space, probably the most impacted sector there is uh, as a result of the current COVID-19 uh, Black Swan event. But before we go there, I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey and, and also your passion for customer experience. Sure. Well, uh, th thank you for having me. It's exciting to be able to chat with you about this stuff. Uh, so, um, so I mean, my journey in the customer service uh, space really started uh, when I was a teenager. And, you know, it's kind mm -hmm. of interesting that um, a friend of mine uh, needed an evening off. He was a dishwasher in a restaurant. And, um, yeah. you know, he called me up and, you know, that was before cell phones. He, you know, called me on a landline <laughs> and, and I, I, I picked it up in, in our kitchen, I believe. And he said, hey, um, what are you doing tonight? I'm like, uh, nothing. He's like, um, you want to fill in for me? Uh, uh, I'm like, okay, uh, what does that mean? And so he was a dishwasher in a restaurant, so I showed up, yeah. and uh, uh, you know, the chef kind of took me into the kitchen. He showed me how to operate the dish machine. He said, dirty dishes are going to come in in buckets here. You unload it, sort it, wash it, put it away. And over here is a three-compartment sink. There's going to be a bunch of dirty stuff that gets put in there, and you need to scrub it clean and uh, dry it and put, and put it away. Uh, any questions? Right. I'm like, eh, no. And uh, so I, I started work, and it was a busy night. And right. I, I, I literally fell in love with the restaurant business that night. It was wow. crazy. It was busy. The people were just uh, you know, amazingly dynamic. And I'm like, wow. This is really cool. And so mm -hmm. that's kind of, you know, that's kind of my start. And then, you know, from that point on, you know, before I kn knew it, I had a, a knife in my hand, 
prepping or a saute pan cooking. And, you know, I just kind of took it from there. And I've always had a focus on the restaurant side of the business. And, you know, over time, um, I moved from more tactical to strategic things where recognizing that nothing happens in a vacuum, that, you know, to be a great restaurant operator, you have to have great employees, you have to have, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, things that, you uh, you know, great suppliers, and and you have to take care uh, of your guests every single day, every single moment. Otherwise, um, none of it works. And that's kind of where where I started. And then after that, I just... uh, uh, you know, went on to just build, build my knowledge and skills and, and, and exposure. And that's kind of where I am today. That's an amazing story for, for, from a dishwasher to, to, to cook uh, and now teaching others how to do uh, su- su- such amazing skills that you see in, in high-end uh, restaurants. Uh, so, so tell me a little bit about the current COVID-19 Black Swan event, obviously devastating impact on hotel industry, the restaurant industry, uh, travel and tourism in general. Um, it, it's starting to recover. There's some signs of it. Many uh, economists are saying that until the service sector that has been most impacted fully recovers, uh, the economy likely won't fully recover as, as a full, um, which makes a lot of sense. One of the challenges we've talked about before is really masks and and how how do you deal with uh, guests and and the expectations around masks the right way to deal with it and some of the challenges uh, in the industry when maybe you don't approach it the right way right well i i I mean you have to really you know look at this from a scientific perspective right Mm -hmm. we we, we're dealing with a virus that spreads, and it's an airborne virus. It spreads in other ways, but it be, it's become clear that you know the most um, prolific spreading occurs through through the air. And so masks right. are really a mechanism to help kind of keep it under control. It, it's not. It doesn't eliminate risk. It doesn't um, you know change the fact that we have to really really be careful. But masks are the way to kind of keep everything, you know, under control. And, right. um, and you know, distancing and all that other stuff, you know, is very important all in concert with that. But, but, the, but the idea is you as a, as a service operator have to, you know, let your guests know that you're not doing it for any reason other than to just keep people safe. And it isn't about mm-hmm. you per se, it's about everyone else. And so I don't know where you're going to go after you come into my restaurant. Uh, are you going to go see your you know, 93-year-old grandmother? Right? And if you're going to do that, I don't want you to bring COVID from my restaurant to your grandmother or wherever you, know, wherever you may come in mm-hmm. contact with it. And so the idea is you have to have these policies in place. You have to enforce them, but you have to enforce them you know, tactfully and recognize that people are going to make mistakes. People are going to uh, resist. And if I could, I could just give you an example um, you know, that I Absolutely. experienced recently. Um, so um, we have a Starbucks in our town, and it's opened up for um, you know, for uh, originally for just um, online pickup, and and now given the uh, New York State guidelines, it, it's open for you can walk in and place an order and wait and pick it up. And so I was I placed an online order. I was walking in the store, and um, a guest came in behind me and didn't have a mask on. And right away there was a service worker who said, hey, welcome to Starbucks, so glad to see you, and uh, basically went up to the customer and said, here you go, uh, here's a mask, you're going to need to put that on if you want to stay in here. And, uh, you know, the person wasn't judgmental, you know, the staff member wasn't judgmental, they were friendly, they welcomed the guest. I I mean, I was a, a direct witness to it, and I'm like, wow, that's what you have to do. 
You have to exactly. recognize that, you know, people are going to, um, you know, make mistakes or, you know, they forgot their mask or maybe their decision, you, you know, in, in life is to walk around without a mask on. And mm-hmm. um, you as an operator have to make decisions about how you're going to deal with that. And the person was compliant, put the mask on and moved on. It could have gone the other way where they said, I'm not wearing a mask and I have my freedoms. <laughs> and then, you know, I would have loved to see how they, you know, how, how they dealt with that. But my guess is that they've thought about how to do this. They have some training that they've done for their staff right. to, to make everybody feel welcome. And that's what we have to do, whether you're in a restaurant, whether you're in the you know, Target or a grocery store. You know, just work with people, remind them uh, what your policies are, what your rules are. And if you have to explain things to them, you can do it. But being judgmental and, you know, and being, um, you know, um, uh, rude isn't the way that we do service, right? We're we're service personnel. We're in the business of helping people, being hospitable to people and just, just help them. That person wanted a cup of coffee from Starbucks, and uh, mm-hmm. they helped that person basically do it under the guidelines. And yeah. uh, th- you know that's the way it should be, whether it's a sit-down restaurant, whether it's a grocery store. I, I think it's that that is so true, and and also the the the, the element nothing's changed. Service industry is still about great service, great experiences. There's always a great way to ask for for pieces. This is also an element of of building trust and people coming back in in restaurants and, and, and so forth. Right. One of the things when we spoke before that I really liked that you talked about was really about making the invisible visible um, oh. and, and, and how certain certain experiences in the past that maybe you wanted to hide from, from guests uh, and, and now you may want to make it that much more elaborate and, and in front of people. Can you, can you share maybe a little bit about your thoughts around sure. this? Yeah, well, so you know, again, if you if you think about the service business and what we do, and and again, I I have my my restaurant lens on. That's kind of mm-hmm. the way I look at the world through restaurant food service. Right. Um, and everything that we used to do for our guests, for the most part, you know, except for the actual product that that they would end up consuming, was pretty much invisible, right? Um, yeah. And so when a guest walked in, to, or let's just say a guest pulls into your restaurant in a car and they get out of their car in the parking lot, your parking lot sh- should be clean. There shouldn't be cigarette butts on, you know, on the ground or paper mm-hmm. or trash. The, the hedges are trimmed. The grass is cut. The flowers are blooming, right? Those are all things that you do, but the guests don't see that happening. The guests didn't see the staff member that morning walking around and picking up trash or trimming the hedges or <laughs> watering the grass or, or, or whatever. Whatever it is that, that happened. Uh, and so a lot of the stuff that we do for our guests are invisible. It's the same thing with right. the restroom that um, when you, you know, when you're, when you're in, when you're in a restaurant and you go into the restroom or actually any place where you go into the restroom and it's clean, right? You don't say, Whoa, when did they clean it? You don't think about it. Right? You don't, you don't right. think about it. Right. So a, a restaurant that has their hand on the pulse of the service uh, uh, process and service dynamic, they're going to make sure that the restroom is clean, but you're not going to mm-hmm. see them do it. Sure. And, and so there's this invisible element to the stuff that we do. And it's, it's the same thing when you sit down at a table, right? If you sit down at a table, the table's wiped down. You know, um, if there's salt and pepper on the table, it's full. You know, there are all these little, little details that, um, that the guests 
you know, should take for granted. And there isn't a French fry on your chair or under the table or a piece of lettuce <laughs> right. or something that fell off. That that maybe a, a guest dropped something at, at you know uh, uh, off their plate onto the floor. But before the next guest comes and sits at that table, you clear it away and and, and freshen it up and, and make it ready to go. And so that was our operating model in, in the past, where we did all these things for our guests and it was invisible. And that's the way it was supposed right. to be. And now with 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 COVID. Um, that's not the case anymore, right? So when you walk into a bathroom, you probably want to see someone walking around spraying bleach, right? You'd be like, oh, okay. You, know, right. you, you want them fogging the place down with, with disinfectant, and, and you're okay with that now. Where previously, you know, a year ago, you'd be like, what, what are they doing? Why can't they wait until, you know, like the bathroom's empty, right? Right. 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 And so so that's the idea now where people want to see the table was just wiped down. They want to see the gloves and the mask and and all those things where when, um, you know, when we were preparing the dining room for service, uh, you know, back in the day, we would be polishing silverware and polishing glasses and we'd put gloves on and we would have gloves on, but we would be in the back. And, you know, yes. we'd be polishing this stuff up and making it all shiny and ready to go. And the guests would never see us do that. Now they they almost demand it, right? They want to know that everything that they're touching is spotless and clean and they want to see it. They, they actually want to see, even though they can't see absolutely everything that you're doing, but they, right. they want to see, they want to see the process. They want to see it unfolding in front of their eyes. And, and that's a new dynamic. And we, we have to, you know, we have to recognize that that's, that's what's going to help build trust among the guests that they're going to see all this stuff that's happening. And they're going to be like, okay, mm-hmm. This restaurant is doing what they need to do to keep me safe, and I like it. And, um, you know, no one wants to have uh, Clorox sprayed in their face, I guess, but knowing that, <laughs> knowing that um, everything around you is being cleaned and sanitized on a consistent, regular basis is basically the ticket to entry now. Yeah, and it's sending cues as to what I tell you I'm giving you. Does it actually show up that particular way? Um, I, I know I had shared a story of just before COVID, um, start bringing all the shutdowns just just as New York was starting to get hit. Um, I was down in a hotel in California and and a lot of what was at the time they were sending a lot of emails about how they're doing all this extra cleaning and everything else. And it showed up in the hotel and really nothing had happened other than there were uh, bottles of Purell everywhere, uh, but mm-hmm. cleaning hadn't changed and so forth. People were looking for cues. And that was for me where I was like, okay, what, what they're telling me isn't matching. And I noticed one of the things I, I, I I found was really interesting when with Hilton's response now is even put a seal on the door, essentially saying um, this has been sanitized, essentially, which is which is something you never would have seen before. You expected the the the, the room to be clean, uh, but here they're putting extra cues to make sure that uh, people get that extra comfort. Whether anything's changed behind the scene, who knows? Hopefully it has, um, but it, it's it's all about kind of making these things visible. Right. Right. So. Exactly. so the the other part is the industry has shifted dramatically. What, what used to be really about an experience inside a dining room um, is now shifting more and more to the online space, and, and which, can, which can be a challenge for a lot of restaurants because it's, in my opinion, much more than just the food. It's about an entire experience. Can you share maybe a little bit of thoughts around the difference between the online and the in-person experience, um, and also how even in-person experiences uh, might be evolving or might need to evolve uh, in, in the dining world. Sure. So, so, so there are a few things. And uh, right now, the, the way it's working, at least here in the States, in terms of 
businesses being able to open after you know, mm-hmm. being closed and after all the restrictions that were put in place is that the, the natural transition for these businesses has been uh, an online, you know, contactless um, uh, purchase. So, um, and that's true for, it was true for grocery stores or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, retail stores, but restaurants in particular, uh, basically um, you, you had to, uh, use a medium that you wouldn't necessarily want to use uh, right right off the bat. So in other words, you know, and again, I just use my own personal experience as a, as a foundation where I wasn't a real big online kind of ordering guy or delivery kind Mm -hmm. of guy, except for maybe, you know, your standard pizza. Um, And, um, and, you know, when this all started, it meant that I had to download these apps that they were using. I had to access their web page. I had to do all of these things in order to, to get into the game and in, in order to, to, to be a part of the, 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 the service experience. And so that, that, that creates two, you know, two layers, I guess, if you will. The first layer is the consumer. So the consumer has to be comfortable with the technology, has to use the technology and, and make sure that they're, you know, that they're, that they're using it correctly and properly and, and, and all. And there are lots of frustrations that, that come along with that. Sure. But, but they have to do that. But the other side of the equation is the restaurant operator. The restaurant operator has to have this technology now that they necessarily didn't have before. And, uh, you know, some of them did, obviously, and, you know, in the quick service space, in the fast casual space, like your Chipotle's and Panera's, you you know, they they had kind of this stuff in place already. But your sit-down restaurant, your mom-and-pop, you know, restaurant around the corner, they didn't have any any of this stuff in in place. And so they had to basically figure out, okay, what's the technology platform I'm going to use? And, and, you know, some restaurant operators are like, "Ah, I'm not going to do the web thing. They they basically um, were taking phone orders and writing down phone orders and then basically <laughs> having guests pick them up because they didn't want to invest or couldn't invest in a technology platform uh, to do that. And other folks went all in. We have a local restaurant in town where I I was completely surprised by the tech platform that they put together. And I completely thought that they were going to be one of those just phone-in places. And, right. and they, they did a really, really good job of, of figuring out uh, how to create this platform. The first day they opened... Um, the demand for this restaurant was so high because it was it's a local place that everybody loved. It was closed for three months, and they decided, you know, they didn't do any of the, t- the takeout stuff first. They just kind of opened after uh, we got clearance from, from the governor, and um, the first day – the, the app crashed because the demand was so high for it. And so that's a nice problem to have, but they're like, we're really sorry. You'll have to go old school and call. And the next day they fixed it. So whatever it was that they had done, they figured it out and they made it work. So, so that's the technology platform. And that's the service part of, of the equation that restaurant operators have to figure out. So it's basically creating a platform for the transaction that didn't exist before. So that's the, that's the first thing. The second thing is you have to look at what you do and how you do it to make sure that right. the food that you're going to put in a box that your guests basically won't see for, you know, let's just say, you know, after you hand it to them 15 or 20 minutes at the earliest, and it could be even longer depending on how far they're driving or, or how they, you know, how they move about. Mm-hmm. And so you need to make sure that the food that you're putting in that box is going to meet the expectations for your guests. And, and, and basically travel well and give them the experience that you want. Right. Because even though you love a restaurant, 
you know, and you're a loyal, let's just say, you know, you go there once a week, every week, and you've done that for the past 20 years, um, and now, and you've never had a box of food from them, and now suddenly you're getting that stuff that you used to order in the restaurant in a box, and when you get it home, it's right. not the same. And so you have to be really, really careful. Some things travel remarkably well, and when you put them in a box, it's great, or you wrap them, you wrap them in foil, and they're and they're fine. And other things, you put them in a box. Mm-hmm. When you open it up, it's just a pile of crap. Excuse my my language. <laughs> um, right. But it's and, true. Right. I had never and, thought about that element. Right, and that and that's a problem that uh, that guests that that, um, that guests have to deal with. But the restaurant operators need to be really careful in you know recognizing ah you know what French fries don't travel well. McDonald's figured out how to make that happen, but um, <laughs> um but you, you know Thomas Keller may not have. And so if if he's going to be serving French fries, he either has to find a way to do it so that the guests will appreciate it, or he has to say you know what. In this environment, I'm not going to be able to make you those French fries. But you know what? When you come into my restaurant the next time, you can sit down. I'll bring you an order of French fries right away. But at the moment, um, when we're doing this online delivery or pickup stuff, it's it's just not it's just not going to work. And so they have to readjust their um, their uh, you know their products to to that to that uh, new I guess dynamic. And then the the last part um, has to do with how you're going to actually set up your transactions and and what you're going to do. So a lot of restaurant operators now are creating kind of um, a a model where there's there's takeout, but there's also bulk takeout where you can basically get a family meal or a large order of stuff that you wouldn't normally have have gotten from the restaurant, so a a large catering order, if you will. And so they're changing the way that they're packaging stuff, doing family meals, packaging in things like alcohol and desserts that, you know, online orders a lot of times are missing. um, And most municipalities that I've seen have allowed for alcohol takeout where uh, they they've been restricted mm-hmm. to do that you know prior their license didn't allow them to hand you a margarita and walk out of the restaurant now new orleans right. is a completely different issue they, <laughs> but, but um but you know, but new york state for example they said if you right. if you're if you're selling food you can also sell alcohol to go and uh, and so so things like that um, allowed restaurant operators to kind of look at things in a different way. And some are going even further where they're selling provisions. We have a restaurant uh, firm in town, and, you know, they're kind of like a fast casual uh, p- place. Sure. They have a food truck. They have some other stuff going on, and they're selling groceries. They're basically, uh, you know, say, hey, you, you, you want a pack of toilet paper when you come and get your tacos? <laughs> you, you got it. You're all set. To- you know, toilet paper, paper towels, uh, soap. And they just decided that they were going to stock some grocery items uh, and and basically sell them. So they had the traditional food that they've kind of scaled their menus down sure. to make it work. And then, you know, maybe some of this large catering stuff that they might not have done before. And then these provisions. And, and those types of things have helped round out the equation for operators so that as they open their 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 restaurants, you know, gradually they're finding ways to kind of get that revenue stream coming in to to make it uh, uh, to make it work for them. Interesting, very very interesting. And, and so, um, we, the the last thing I want to talk about is as, as I entered at the at the front end, um, a lot of economists are saying that the economy will really only restart once the service industry, hotels, restaurants. Um, recovers. Uh, what, what do you see as the future? And obviously, we, we don't have a crystal ball, but what is the future of dining? What's the future of dining experience? Um, and, and how do we recover in this in this current mode? 
Right. So, I mean, so unfortunately, and the data that I've seen from a few of the, the groups that collect this data, like the National Restaurant Association um, and, lo- and state and, and local uh, restaurant associations, um, about 30% of existing restaurants are not going to reopen, you know, at the end of this. Many of them have already closed right. permanently. And uh, and many are are opening and realizing that it's just not uh, it's just not working for them and that they can't sure. get over the hump. Uh, you know, restaurants are very cash flow dependent operations, mm-hmm. and so if you know if your your capacity is cut to twenty five percent inside and your takeout volume is only you know half of uh, of what your sales used to be. Um, you know, so let's just say you have 75% of your revenue. That may not be enough, even in you know, even in the short term, for for an operator to, to keep going. So we're going to be losing a lot of of restaurants, and they're across the spectrum. Some of these will be you know franchise operations or chain operations where the companies have decided that these are not viable, and then mm-hmm. we're going to see these independent uh, operators who. Uh, you know, who just can't can't make a go of it. And, and there's another small dynamic in there. We, we've seen a couple of local, uh, in our community, we've seen a couple of local operators. They've been, they've been in business about 25 years, had very, very successful businesses, and they were looking probably to retire soon anyway. Right. This just this just gave them kind of like, all right, well, can I go through this whole thing and try to figure this out? And then three years from now, I'm going to want to retire to, you know, to, uh, to, to, uh, Boca sure. Raton anyway. And, <laughs> and so, um, so they're, you know, kind of just throwing in the towel now saying, you know what, it's been a great ride. Let's just, you know, we'll just call it uh, good enough. And and right. so, so we're seeing this, but what, what's happening is, you know, the restaurant, uh, restaurant business, restaurant operators are very, very resilient and, you know, they have fight in them. And so what I see is, these operators are reinvigorating their business. They're connecting with their guests in a way that they need to, in a way that they haven't done before. And what we're going to see is, you know, just a slow buildup of trust, a slow buildup of business. And as as we get a better uh, handle on the virus and people follow you know, guidelines that help keep us safe, then we're going to be able to open up more and more and more. And then you know, people are saying, oh, it won't be, it'll be 2022 before we see a full recovery. But sure. my guess is, um, you know, for the rest of this year, we're going to continue to see kind of what we have now. And, you know, once the year turns, uh, I think by, you know, by mid-2021, we're going to start to see, uh, you know, a lot more, um, you know, assuming that we don't have a complete, uh, you know, a breakdown of, of the virus yet again. Uh, sure. we're, going, we're going to see uh, a, a slow you know, build up to, to kind of where we were before. And because the, the environment has changed a little bit, restaurant operators have fully adapted to, you know, to, or most of them have fully adapted to this new normal. And then the hotel operators are already doing it. In fact, there's a little boutique hotel in New York City that, um, that you know, I would always try to stay in when I was in the city, <laughs> assuming I, I could. Um, and uh, I just got an email from them um, that, hey, we're open. We're open for business again. You know, they had been closed. And, mm. you know, for them, it didn't make any sense to be open. And sure. um, there just wasn't any demand. And so now, basically, they're they're getting ready. They're getting ready to open. And, um, and, and that's a good thing. So we're going to start to see this. Uh, it's going to start to happen more and more. And the, the next thing to kind of help turn the valve uh, on a little bit more, uh, you know, to let the flow uh, be a little more strong is tourism. 
and we're really, right. really dependent. You know, most of the markets that that you know thrive on tourism are going to need to have the borders open up a little bit more. You know, mm-hmm. to have travel basically be something that consumers can do again. And and maybe, and again, this is just my 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 guess or prediction, if you will. Although I, you know, I don't tend to predict right. anything. Um, uh, is that we might see something like the uh, like the old days, like in the 50s, where uh, tourism basically doesn't happen through jet travel, where, you, you know, I'm going to be right. in Vegas this weekend. Well, if I want to be in Vegas this weekend and get in my car, that's not going to happen. I might <laughs> I might be I might be in Idaho this weekend. That might be as far as I can right. get. Um, geographically, that was probably not the the, the right uh, the right path, but either way, Boston, um, yeah, close, close enough. But but yes. so we might have people who are driving to places, and so right. you know, the hospitality operators, tourism um, uh, operators need to recognize that and maybe create a platform that's more driver friendly. That's saying, hey, you know, come on by, and and you know, change sure. the dynamic of the way things. Uh, work until uh, the airlines get back up and running until international travel is, you know, is more uh, consistent Mm -hmm. and steady. And, you know, we have greater confidence in everything. But, and again, I just, from a personal example, the month of June, we decided uh, this was before uh, Florida had re uh, had, you know, you know, had the the terrible uh, outbreaks (laughs) again, my, um, uh, my wife and my two boys, we hopped in a car and we drove down to see my wife's family down there and we stayed the month of right. June. And so we drove down. Normally, I can't, you know, the last time I drove down to Florida, I think was 2005. It's a long time <laughs> ago. And right. if, if we're going to go for the holidays in, in, uh, in December, we're probably going to drive, not fly. And so sure. people's behavior, you know, con- consumption behavior is changing. And, um, and whether it comes back fully or not, I, I don't know. Um, the, the the thought for some people of sitting in a car for 24 hours with uh, with two young children um, may not <laughs> may not be appealing. But um, if we wanted to be in Florida, that was the safest uh, route for us to Agreed. to take. So um, yeah. I don't know if that answered your question, but I, I see a lot of moving parts here that we're slowly and surely. Um, getting getting a grip on and the next mm-hmm. you know the next six to eight months will be really really telling in 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 uh in in how things shape up i i would agree and i i think from from what you're saying it sounds like agility of being able to adapt seeing kind of what trends are um might be a, a key key element but also still focusing on great service experience so that people want to go back is the other element is i think as people get more used to cooking at home and meal kits and things of that nature, um, yeah. it, it could drive two two behaviors. We, some people might say, I, I, I can't wait to go back to a, to a restaurant. Others may say, you know what, this is actually not so bad. I've got right. meal variety, but I'm doing it at home as an example. Or they might enjoy the the um, the, the at home or the takeout dining experience, which I'm sure is, is probably a lot less profitable as a whole for, for the industry. Right. Well, and, and and that's a great point that you bring up. That you know the meal kits and and the takeout. And yeah. again, just speaking from my own personal experience, uh, about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, uh, we started to go. We started to try like the home chefs and the Blue Apron, and you know we did that for a while, and it, we it just kind of faded away. And mm-hmm. now restaurants are actually putting together meal kits where. Um, yes. You know where uh, you know you don't have to go through these the uh, you know these structured ones where you can 
you know, your neighborhood r- restaurant basically say, here you go. Here's a steak. Here's some potatoes. Here's some instructions. Let us know how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> right? right. And, and, uh, and so, you know, so, so, so that, that's another, that's another source. And the other thing you're right is that guest behavior, I think will be changing too, where, and I think I mentioned this earlier. I may not have, I was thinking it, uh, that, I wasn't a real big takeout person prior to all mm-hmm. this. Like when it came to restaurants, I actually liked going to the restaurant. That Agreed. Yeah, every once in a while you get some takeout. There was a particular type of food that, you know, that you got more takeout, like pizza, for example, or um, the Chinese food. You know, that's generally mm-hmm. more, uh, you know, that, that would be the stuff that you would take out. But now uh, we're getting takeout all the time from all kinds of places that we never would have done before. Right. And so our behavior is changing, and my view on that has changed. And the and we see right away the restaurants who do a really good job with that are going to continue to be able to do that. And oh, and you know this is something um, you know this is something really uh, really interesting too, where um, uh, we we have a, a luxury restaurant in our community, and um, he's one of a few. And he opened for um, for takeout only when he could, and so he's been open as long as as long as uh, as he could. I think he had to close right. for a week or so or two, and then they got the the go ahead to uh, to do takeout. And so he was doing takeout, and then it went to contactless um, um, pickup, where basically you just pulled up in front, you couldn't sure. go into the restaurant, and he did that. And then uh, we got clearance from the governor to uh, to open restaurants at limited capacity for outside dining and for inside dining, and, and he decided to open up. And uh, my mom was visiting. She lives down uh, on Long Island, and she came up uh-huh. uh, to visit for uh, for a weekend. And so we went, we went to the restaurant. They had their outdoor, outdoor dining, and the owner was in, you know, normally he's actually in the back cooking. Uh, and uh, he was waiting tables that night. And, you know, again, very versatile. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's one of our favorite restaurants in town. And so we said, hey, how's it going? He goes, oh, my God, it, you know, it's so busy. We're, go- we're going to do around 100 covers. You know, and again, it's a luxury restaurant. Wow. Uh, he said, we're going to do 100 covers in our, you know, in our dining space. And we're going to do just about the same to go. And we've never done that before. Interesting. Yeah, so he's building a business behind the scenes uh, for guests who became used to getting his food in a box, and that never happened before. I mean, you know, right. I'm sure maybe you know maybe five percent of his business was takeout prior to uh, you know prior to this, but to have basically a hundred guests consuming food <laughs> in your restaurant and then having a hundred taking it to go, that you know a fifty-fifty mix. I don't. If you, when he opened his restaurant in 1996 or 97, whenever it was, um, if you had said, "Hey, you know what? You're going to do 50% takeout <laughs> and 50% in-room dining in your luxury restaurant," and, uh, and he'd be like, "Yeah, whatever," you know, like, <laughs> yeah, right? And sure. so, so it's it's kind of interesting that you know that that dynamic has has taken off. So it was a great point that you raised that there are these other things that are driving it. So so he's happy. That uh, you know hmm. that he he stuck with it. He had loyal guests. They stuck with him, and his, their behavior changed. Um, to and is that going to be forever? I don't know, but it's certainly going to carry him through until things become um, you know safer, more normal, and less um, you, you know uh, less constrained. It, it, but it also sounds like he had a, a a solid business before all of this hit. Great yeah. great guest loyalty. Great experience, great food experience. Um, so that 
made it carry forward because probably people craved and wanted that experience. And now he's created a whole new market, which is phenomenal. Right, right, ex- exactly, and he stuck with it. And you know, it's funny when he first, when he was first open for for takeout, we went right away and we thanked him. He's like, "Why are you thanking me? Thank you for coming in." I'm like, "Well, no, thank you." So we had a thank you battle for you know for five minutes, <laughs> trying to outthank each other. Um, but, but at the at the end of the day, it's service, right? It's a service economy. Exactly. It's a service business that we're in, and the you know the second that you lose sight of that. Uh, you know, you're not going to be able to uh, to reap the benefits uh, of all the things that, that are available to you. Excellent. Alex, thank you so much for sharing your insights um, and, and all the work that you're doing within the industry. It's so important that um, the industry bounces back and, and, and recovers. And like you said, there is no crystal ball. I can tell you exactly what, what to do, but I agree with your points around kind of the agility of the market space is going to change. Um, and adapt, and it's finding those those niche opportunities. But I loved your your closing story on the luxury restaurant because it gives hopes as well that um, organizations that shift and find new markets and and continue doing great things um, can thrive as a result. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for your time, and uh, it was a pleasure chatting with you. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to the CX Guru on C-Suite Radio. Increase the value you create. Grow your brand. Drive your success. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Come back in two weeks for the next episode. Or listen to our sister show, The Ops Guru, with Eric McCroskey. Fuel your future. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.